Hello and welcome to episode three of that 60s recording podcast. Uh, I am your host, Joe Montague. Um, before we start, just wanted to say another big thank you to all of you that are listening. Um, I keep getting emails and uh, reviews from people just saying how great the podcast is and I'm really in, pleased that you're enjoying it. Um, I'm really enjoying making it and I'm pleased that you're finding it interesting and, and getting something from it so thank you so much for listening um before we start i just want to tell you about something else um that you might be interested in i think a lot of you might be here um because you found out about the podcast through my instagram feed or uh, the website i run all you need is drums.com to do with the uh, the business that i do recording drums on on tunes um but if you're listening to this you may well be interested to know that Every fortnight on the alternate Tuesday I put this podcast out, I send out free um, drum stems for different Beatles songs. So I have quite a lot of fun recreating the drum sounds from different Beatles tunes. Um, and I send them out all recorded to click um, and you get a complete set of stems, not uh, necessarily uh, strictly 60s stems, they're just a general drum setup of stems. But then I also take what would have been used as a Ringo setup in the Abbey Road um, and make a mix of my own. So you get a complete mix of drums and a complete set of stems. Um, and if that floats your boat or you're just interested in hearing what that sounds like, you can go to the website, all you need is drums.com, um, and sign up to receive those every fortnight um, completely free. I just have a really good time making them and I thought it'd be quite fun. I know a lot of the isolated drums are out there for the Beatles songs, um, but these make them really usable for people because um, they're all recorded to click and you can chop them up and start writing music and whatever you want with them. Um, but yeah, if you're listening to this, the chances are you might be interested in that. So if that's the kind of thing that interests you, then go for it. Um, you might also be interested to know that uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen that I recently bought myself a little lockdown gift um, to lift my spirits, uh, which is a beautiful Revox A77 Mark II tape machine. Um, I've got it sat right next to me here. Um, and uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I, I completely am in love with it. Um, and my... Uh, I just think it's going to change the sound of these drum stems and a lot of the work I do for people is just going to sound incredible through this. So, uh, yeah, very happy with it. So I thought it'd be fun to record this beginning intro on the tape machine, um, which I uh, have done. And I don't know if you, um, you'll you be able to hear a difference. It might just sound a bit, uh, a bit uh, sort of noisier. But anyway, I thought it'd be kind of fun. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm telling you about it. <laughs> um, okay. On with the podcast, because I could just waffle on forever. I do quite enjoy waffling on. Um, so today I'm speaking to a absolutely lovely chap called Stuart Taverner, um, who I've never actually met, even though he only lives over in York. But he runs a um, microphone repair company and a microphone manufacturers, as you'll, you'll hear a little bit more about. Um, and he is an absolute wealth of knowledge on the subject of microphones. So we cover everything here from the history of microphones to ribbon microphones and um, a few other little questions that I had, um, things that I was thought that he would know the answer to that I was very uh, keen to ask. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And really interestingly, um, since recording it, uh, Stuart, I don't know if he knew this at the time, but he found out that the last star wars soundtrack um i'm going to admit i'm not really a star wars fan so i don't know 
what the film's called or anything. Um, but the last soundtrack to the Star Wars film was recorded using some of his microphones that he designed and built. Um, how incredible is that? That you, as a company, a small two person or two and a half people, as you're here, a company in York, can come up with a microphone that's used on a major motion picture soundtrack. Um, I mean, that just must have been the coolest thing for Stuart ever. Um, I'm really pleased for him, and he absolutely deserves it. He's a top bloke and a really, really lovely chap, and he clearly knows what he's doing. And I have bought microphones from him, and they sound fam, uh, fam, blah, blah, blah. fabulous. <laughs> so enjoy this conversation. Um, and uh, I keep saying it, but if, you really, if you're liking this podcast and you're enjoying it, um, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts specifically, just scroll down and give us um, a star rating. I mean, I hope... If, if it's five stars, otherwise don't leave a rating. <laughs> um, give us a little rating and, and uh, it all helps sort of boost us in the listings. And if you can be uh, bothered and you want to uh, write a review, that would be really lovely and I'd love to hear from you. And as always, you can get in touch with me at joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. Anyway, I'll stop waffling on again. Enjoy this conversation and uh, I hope you're all doing well. Here we go. Um, so really pleased today to be joined by uh, Stuart Taverner, who is a... Uh, a microphone expert and owner of um, two two companies, um, Exordia, who I first became aware of as a, a microphone repair and recondition company. I think that's hopefully right to say. Is that right? That that's perfect. Yes, that's Super. what we do. Yep. And then uh, you have recently uh, started a new company called Extinct Audio, who are a um, microphone builders. That also feels like an odd phrase to say, microphone builders, but is that what you'd call microphone it? Microphone builders, manufacturers, I think is probably more normal, but um, that's what we do, we build microphones. So Yeah, super. Yeah, manufacturers great. sounds yeah. a bit um, a bit more uh, professional, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds a bit more corporate, but to be honest, we're only two and a half people um, in the business, so it, it is, um, we're probably... I'm interested in the half person there. <laughs> uh, that's my wife, yeah, she does the admin. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay. but it's, it's a part-time job. Yeah. No, it comes from um, when we used to. I used to work at the university near here um, as my as my first career, and they always used to talk about full-time equivalents. So you'd always cost for one point three people or something like that to do a job. Um, so I think that's um, when you look at wage bills and things like that. It's uh, <laughs> that's where that's where half people start to start to exist. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how your wife would feel about being called a half. person No, I know. I'm worried now. If she actually watches this, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Um, I have this uh, this image in my head. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to have lots of American listeners or UK ones, but there's this programme, I don't know if you've seen it, called um, The Repair Shop that's on BBC. I have seen it, yes. I have seen a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's my new favourite programme. And I have this um, really cutesy image that that's what your microphone repair shop looks like. And you go out in, in the nice uh, sort of sunny country air into your sunny well-lit <laughs> repair shop and, and repair microphones do you know what it's not an awful lot uh, not uh, um, not very far away from that really we are five miles outside of york um and it's an old farm unit that we've got so we've got cows in the field next to us and um on a good day like today it is absolutely beautiful um and it's an old brick barn that we rent uh we rent it because it's cheap I think it's the primary reason that we ended up here, but it, it, it is a lovely place to be. And um, it's just it's just a, a, a barn with lots and lots of tools in it, I suppose. 
Um, and we get a bit obsessed with different tools. So we've got dozens of hammers and drills and mills and things like that to, to all to do different jobs. Um, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. So, yeah, not, not far off at all. So, not how, far off at all. Um, so let's talk about your um, journey to where you currently are. So you said you started work, was it at the University of York? Yeah, um, so I was a, a, a scientist there. I did physical chemistry, and we spent an awful lot of time um, repairing equipment that used to break down, which is how I um, got the technical skills, really, to, to repair things. I had a parallel passion at the same time as, uh, as my day job. I ran a recording studio and um, we didn't have much money, so we put it together for as little as possible. And that usually meant buying things that didn't work properly. So I used to fix a lot of things. And I always loved the old ribbon microphones, right from my very first Reslin microphone, which I found at the age of probably 13 or 14 at a junk shop. Um, and... I taught myself how to repair those because there wasn't really anybody else in the UK who was able to or willing to do it. Um, and a lot of the professional studios would send their microphones off to uh, one of the very competent people in the United States. And I thought about this and figured out that perhaps some people might be interested in having their microphones fixed here. I put a little bit of a, a website up on the on the internet um, around about two thousand and seven, and um, very quickly it became a it became a full time job really without even um, wanting it to be that. Uh, the, the The original plan was to run a recording studio, but I never managed to make any money from uh, recording other people's music. Um, but people wanted me to repair their things, and and that's that's how we got here really. Wow, that's um. And now the now the job runs me. <laughs> <laughs> That that's um a pretty Cinderella story. Not Cinderella story. What's the word I'm looking for? It's just like a you, there was a gap in the market that you happened upon, and and now now here you are. Yeah. Um. The the uh, the original tools that I bought to do it, the the corrugators and things like that. It was it was some old um guy, some old gear from one of the RCA guys, and it was on eBay for around about a thousand pounds. I thought that's a lot of money, um. But I I, I discussed it with uh, with with um, my wife and said if I spend this money. I think I could earn it back, you know. I think it would pay for itself. Yeah. Um, so that was the initial gamble that I did, and I, I, I think it's um, probably paid for itself in the first month of wow. putting the website up. Uh, uh, so it, it was it was a smart move, although it was it, it didn't necessarily feel like it at the same time. But that was the original intent was just to be able to repair our own things and cover costs. Yes. That that was all it was. Um, and then since about 2000, and, that would have been 2007, so I'd say since about 2009 or 2010, we had a queue of work, and that queue, I've never finished a queue of work. <laughs> I've always had, I've always had repairs. And what I've learned since then, I mean, I've done, I think I must have fixed maybe 5,000 microphones for people. Wow. And yeah, I know it's quite a lot, but I, I do about four or 500 a year, and I've been doing it th since 2007-ish, 2008. Um, so if you start to do the maths, it's got to be around about 5,000. And um, the one thing you can guarantee is that people will always break things. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of jumping in uh, 
jumping in a little bit here, but what are the some yes. of the common things that you see? Uh, you, uh, presumably, you see the same um, the same repairs a lot of the times. Well, I mean, the common things. I mean, we we specialize. Um, I, I specialize primarily with ribbon microphones, and and now I don't do anything else. I used to do whatever would pay the bills, um, but I'm lucky enough to have enough volume of work now that I can I can truly be a specialist with the ribbons. Uh, and of course, the the major fault is is the ribbon itself um, in the microphones, which. People will either uh, find a lot of them come off eBay, so they'll buy something which doesn't work. So, um, but also a, a big blast of air, dropping the microphone, hitting it with the drumstick, all of those kind of common things will will damage um, damage the microphone. Yeah. The other thing we had to figure out was the transformers because every ribbon microphone has the the transducer itself, which is the a very light piece of aluminium foil, which moves in a magnetic field. Um, that produces the sound, but that has a very, very low voltage, and you need to step that voltage up so they always have a transformer inside. And that transformer can be the source of noise or um, they can break. So I had to teach myself to understand and be able to repair and rewind the transformers. So that was the second step on the journey, really. Wow, okay. That sounds it's quite fairly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've watched some videos on how to, to do this kind of stuff. Uh, just out of curiosity, not not in an attempt to, to learn how to do it, and it. Um... Oh, you could do it, yeah. <laughs> oh, th- <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Is it? I mean, is it? Is it as hard? Is it as difficult as as it might as it sort of seems to a layman? I, I used to say to people that the first hundred are the hardest, and I think that's probably true of of, of anything really. Um, it you need you need patience and steady hands. I, I think I think that's all really. Um, and then it just comes down to practice and attention to detail. Um, what we've done over the years is um, rebuilt the, the equipment or commission new equipment to do things better as we've worked out the limitations of the, the way that we're doing it. Um, but ultimately, it's a piece of crinkled aluminium foil in a magnetic field. It's 1920s technology, really. So it's even a badly made ribbon microphone will still work. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yes. It, it may not sound good. It may it may not have the detail, but the basic principles will always work. Um, I, I, I think I think practice really is the thing. But <laughs> if you can if you can play a musical instrument, you've probably got the, you know, the fine judgment and the sensitivity with your hands to be able to, to do it. Oh, you're a drummer, though, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I might edit that out. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the, the my my business partner here is also a drummer, and he he does these things on a daily basis. So it's, uh, yeah, drummers are great. I like there's ho- there's hope for us all. Hey, Adam, um, my business partner in Extinct Audio, is also brilliant at reshaping pieces of metal. So if we get something that's been dropped badly, um, typically the old RCAs come in and somebody's dropped them and put a big dent in them. He's very very good with um, a series of soft hammers and um, mallets to uh, to be able to reshape things. I think that comes from the drumming. <laughs> well, that seems like a, a like a job that needs quite a lot of patience. I remember the uh, yes. I bought some beebs off you a couple of years ago, um, probably three or four years yeah. ago now, and um, one of mine has a little dent in it, and I was mortified when it happened because they they were so beautifully uh, presented when when I got them from you. And now <laughs> it's just a little yeah. dent in the corner that I I hate it. <laughs> did did it still did it survive? Did it did it did it um, still sound the same? I, yeah, it sounds absolutely brilliant. I um I don't okay, good. quite know where it came from. I think um 
I, I don't know. I absolutely no idea where, how it happened. I just no. noticed it. It's it's like any the first scratch on on your guitar or your or your car, isn't it? You know, the, the first one's the painful one, and then after that, it doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really matter so much. No. Well, they live on stands now permanently, so they no one goes near them and they don't get touched, which is perfect. Excellent. Um, you kind of took me in a roundabout kind of way to where I was uh, where I was headed, which is um, so microphones. So ribbon microphones first came about in the late twenties. So that's that's as far as we can tell. Yeah, there's a very old German microphone um, which is branded either Siemens or Telefunken, um, and uh, the Germans would have us believe that that was the earliest. But around about the same time, the um, RCA and uh, a chap called I think it's Harry Olson um, were in, doing a similar thing in America, which. Um, they they probably um, came up with the better microphone. Yeah, um, that's um, the, what I'd read first. I'd, I'd read about the RCA one. I hadn't heard about the Siemens and the Telefunken one. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it's it's less well known, but uh, the German people would certainly have us believe that theirs was earliest. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the truth. <laughs> um, the What was I going to say? I, I don't know. I'll come back to that one. <laughs> So it started, you can edit that bit out. Yeah. So condensers came first before ribbons, and then presumably people were sort of um, trying to work out, like anything. When when uh, I mean I know tele uh, microphones came into existence with telephones in the late eighteen hundreds, um, and they would have been carbon microphones. Yes. Yeah. And then, I mean I know that's quite a long distance to the nineteen twenties, but. As with with the new technology, I suppose lots of people were trying to find different and more efficient ways of of doing the same thing. Yes, so there were some early moving coil ones made, and 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 the ribbons as well. Um, I'm not sure when condenser microphones were f first on the market, but I think they were quite um, crude in and and usually they were omnidirectional and quite noisy. And of course, you needed amplifiers. Um, you know, you need a power supply and an amplifier inside the microphone with a condenser microphone. Um, so they were quite bulky. I suppose they were all bulky at the point. One of the major um, driving forces for the ribbon microphones and, and directional microphones in general was the movie industry, of course, um, to be able to pick out one actor on a, on a soundstage, on a, you know, on a film stage. Mm. Um, was really important. So things like the early RCA microphones, the KU2. Do you know this one with a big, um, a big white stripe down the back? They used to call it the skunk mic. Oh no, I can't um, picture it. The, so there's a f um, again, I can supply pictures if you if you if you want them, um, or you can you can check the in, um, internet. But oh, that would be great because I've I put show notes uh, up on on the website for this, so it'd be great. Ah, to have fabulous. Some pictures up there. Okay, uh, I actually had one here in case we did, um, in case we did uh, FaceTime. But what what you'd find with those microphones is the, they'd have a white stripe around the back of the microphone. Ribbons are naturally um, directional anyway; they've got the figure of eight. Um, but the stripe was there as a sign for the guy who was operating the boom on um, on a film set, so that he could line up the back of the microphone with the actors, and move the microphone around the on on the boom and follow them across the stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, so that's really good. But there was a big, big push because the film industry um, was a massive earner at the time. Um, and anybody who could build a better and more directional microphone uh, was onto a winner. That's um, quite a... Uh, 
it's quite a cool thing that like a little painted stripe is such a simple solution. Yes. Yeah, to it. It's really good. Yeah. It makes like it makes the mics look really cool as well. <laughs> it gives them a little bit of well, I don't know, it just gives them a little bit of um, something extra. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a picture of it now. So obviously interested in sixties, in between the yes. the thirties up to the sixties, was there much progress in in microphone technology? But there certainly was, yes, there was a lot of progress. Um, things became smaller, I think, was quite important. Um, certainly with the ribbon microphones, uh, the magnet technology got a lot better, so they had stronger, more compact magnets, which meant they could um, reduce the size and at the same time increase the signal-to-noise uh, ratio of the, of the microphone and the output level, which were important. With condenser microphones, the same is true. They got better. Um, they, they would mostly have been valve microphones up to the early 60s, and they uh, got um, better, quieter um, in terms of signal to noise. It, uh, I, I, I'm, what I've got going in my head now is I'm thinking about the the RCA ribbon that I've seen um, a, a photo of from the late 20s that they first made. And then I'm look, thinking about um, pictures I've seen of, of artists singing into ribbon mics in the studio in the 60s. And they look they look very similar. And yes, I can't. I, I <laughs> what what boggles my mind is that something that was potentially built in the twenties, even thirties, up to the sixties, we're still we're still using today. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that is true to a large extent. People liked the sound of them. I, I think the major the major with the ribbons, the major technology was reducing the size um, of them, um, but that didn't make them sound better. So if you had a good one. They didn't necessarily make them sound better. It just made, meant that they could sell smaller ones or perhaps the signal-to-noise would be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But if they had one which was good enough, you know, you're probably thinking about the old RCA 44 series. Yes. Um, and the, the the 44BX, I think, is a 1940s design. And that is just a classic. I mean, AEA essentially make the same microphone today, um, an, an almost exact copy of it. Is, um, did AEA buy out RCA, or how did that? No, no. So um, I, I'm actually, I'm actually uh, very good friends with the chaps at uh, um, AEA, and I'm their repair tech for for the UK and, and Europe. And I spent a bit of time over there uh, in last year, and they told me the story. But it's very similar to mine, really. Um, they started repairing the old uh, AEA the, sorry, the old RCA microphones. Uh, they started off as a repair shop and eventually um, started making the replicas because they had all the technology and they had all the parts. And there, and there was demand for it. And, and there was demand for it, yeah, clearly, yes. And that was really the rebirth of the modern ribbon microphone because up until that point, well, perhaps with the exception of Coles in the UK, um, ribbons more or less died out in the, um, at the end of the 1970s in terms of technology. In Germany, kept going with ribbons, um, but all the little British companies um, went bust towards the end of the seventies when everybody turned um, to things like the the Shure SM58, I guess. Really, um, it was a much more reliable and cheap thing to to get hold of. So we had all of these little companies in the UK, like Reslow and Film Industries, Lustrophone, Grampian, making nice. Um, ribbon microphones and they they all went at the end of the 1970s it seems so obvious that it hadn't ever crossed my mind that um yeah. th that's what had happened um and now because I, I suppose i've grown up in an industry that is uh, now uh, now i understand 
re-obsessed with ribbon microphones. Um, yeah. and it never occurred to me that, that that appetite went away at one point. The, the thing is, they could be problematic. You know, if you blow one in a live performance, um, you've got a problem. You know, <laughs> the show must go on. Um, so you'd, you really to have something that was more more reliable was uh, um, was was vital. And they're quite expensive to make, really. They they still um, require um, a certain amount of you know um, attention to detail and and uh, and skilled workers to um, to make them. Yes, they're very difficult to automate the production of a ribbon microphone. So the good ones are still um, t still low volume. Having said all of that, Coles, we mustn't forget Coles, who made the BBC, um, designed 4038 microphones, which um, have been in continuous production. I was um, going to ask about the, the, link, the, the link between um, broadcast microphones and popular um, well, desirable uh, recording studio microphones. Um, yeah. Whenever I've come across a, a new microphone in um, in my journey as a, a musician, and looked looked up that microphone, it's always been a broadcast microphone first <laughs> that's been borrowed for the recording studio. Yeah, um, I, I don't think so. I've got a little bit of perspective from making, building microphones and trying you know um, trying to set up a company to to sell them, um, and there isn't really a difference. You know, you we wouldn't design a microphone specifically to be a broadcast microphone or a um, a recording microphone. We just try and make a good microphone. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, absolutely. It makes complete sense yeah. that they would be they would be a good a good microphone for a high quality broadcast would then yes absolutely lend itself to picking up um, an instrument. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, very often they would broadcast live music. You know, it would be the it would be the same thing. Um, the broadcasters had money uh, early on, I suppose, um, and the BBC were responsible for development of all sorts of technology for um, for recording music. Yeah, that's quite a good point. I I hadn't thought that about the money aspect. That, yeah, that a lot of funding will have come from that side. Um, I'm kind of jumping about a little bit here, but going back to what we were talking about, the um, ribbons disappearing. Uh, from the 70s kind of onwards um suppose in terms of um my interest lies with the beatles and, and uh, 60s recording a lot of the early 60s uh, the early 60s beatles records uh, would have had coals as an overhead and even a, yeah. a, a ribbon on the kick drum um yeah and then when jeff emmerich took over he moved to um akg d19 uh, and there wasn't a lot of ribbons to be seen around the drums at all really it was mainly just no. the, the vocal mics and it i find it quite astounding that uh from a almost well i was going to say quality but that's not the right word to use it I'm, I'm what's perceived as a higher quality microphone was moved in favor of what essentially was a the a, you know a, a 60s equivalent of an sm57 and um, <laughs> you know jeff didn't seem too bothered about it he just you know it was he's he's a good believer from from what i've read of what goes in is the most important part um yeah and i i, I suppose that was the start you know the, the late 60s the start of people um preferring to not have any of the problems that came with ribbons i think you're right i, I think that's probably part of it um and also these 
the dynamic mics, you know, good quality dynamic mics were quite new to the market, I suppose, like the AKGs. Before then, a lot, a lot of um, dynamic microphones were really quite boxy. They didn't have a lot of bottom end and they didn't have a lot of top end. Um, so perhaps it was the novelty of those sounds. And at the same time, you quite often see pictures of the Beatles all around uh, uh, the Neumann microphones, you know, the condensers like the U47 and... Uh, um, I think there were some U67s as well. Yeah. Um, in, in in the pictures that I've seen, I'm not a real expert on on the Beatles gear, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I I think that combination um, had had novelty. They had the signal to noise. Um, you could put the dynamic microphones closer to the the drums. I think was, um, or people believed they could. Yes. Uh, that was one advantage. So it. And I think there's a secondary thing that um, I don't really know for sure, but live gigs changed, live events changed a lot at the time. So if you look at the early Beatles gigs, they were basically, um, they didn't have a lot of amplification, did they? You know, they were running a couple of um, small, uh, maybe an AC30 or something like that, guitar amps. That's right, yeah. And doing great big venues with them. So the vocal PAs were, pr were pretty small and not very powerful at the time. And then you sort of, by the time you're getting towards the mid to late 60s, you've got, you're starting to get great big events with massive, massive sound systems uh, where they're mic starting to mic the drums up as well. Do you yeah. see where I'm going with this? Yes, yeah. And, uh, so those, and, and those would have been close, they would have been mic'd up with dynamic microphones to do that, I assume. Yeah, so it gave them more options than having to, to travel about with, with a case full of ribbon microphones. That's right. So, but they, then those sounds came back into the studio. Yeah, uh, yeah, I th think that definitely makes sense. All, all links in towards it, and that the the idea of uh, the new technology um, having a bit of a shine on it, um, yeah, definitely the case. And I know that was the case with um, the mixing desks they were using at Abbey Road. They were using a um, a valve. The, the first desks were valve desks, and then moved yeah. to transistors. Um, yes, which a lot of people would argue that the valve desk sounds better. Um, you the... could, but then you can fit. So, you can have so many more channels, and um, again, you'd have you probably have improved um, signal to noise. But you can get this. You can get a lot more into a smaller space with transistors. Yeah. So there's, there's pros. So if you if you want <laughs> if you if you want a big console with lots of tracks, I, I, I think uh, I think the transistors probably made a lot of sense. I was gonna. I've got a, a question that's a little bit off topic now. <laughs> um, okay, that's okay. Yeah, complete. So. I, I'll, I should have probably said a, a caveat. I mean, I'm sure it's fairly obvious by now. I, I don't know. I like how microphone sounds and I like how my drums sound in microphones, but I'm not a massive, I'm not, I'm not in a small expert on microphones. <laughs> um, and I often see, I often look at your website, the X-Audio website and uh, browsing and there's so many Russian microphones on there. Um, yeah. What is it with Russian microphones? Um, partly we've got a good contact in Russia who sends us boxes of things. <laughs> so, so that's, that's why we, we, so that's one, one answer to the question is that's why we end up with a lot of Russian microphones. Um, they, they made good rib microphones and they actually kept going with the technology. Um, so we, they, they were still making rib microphones in the eighties, certainly. And the sheer volume that they made is, is astonishing. I, I don't really understand Soviet-era um, manufacturing, but I think the factories would make things even if there wasn't necessarily a big demand for them. Once ah. they built the factory and they had the workers, they would just, they would just keep churning things out. Um, so they were quite good. Some of them are very good. Most of them are, 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 
good enough um, and we can get hold of them and provide a nice quality um, ribbon microphone for an affordable price for you know for people who want them yeah so so that's it really one of their microphones in particular i like a lot and that's the the square one the ml19 it's quite ugly um or some people think it's quite ugly but they they are a proper cardioid microphone or clo as close to cardioid as um, you could hope to get yeah and they sound um once once you've sorted out the little problems with them and given them a service um they they sound very very good um so that's an and there aren't Hmm? Sorry, that's an ML19. That's the ML, ML19. And there are... We shouldn't even talk about this because, um, you know, people are going to want them. Um, <laughs> the From my experience, they sound as good as or better than the RCA BK5, which they were supposed to be a, a competitor for. Ah. Um, end address directional microphone. So that's the one that I, I, I think really stands out in those in that lot. It's quite hard to find um, affordable... Um, directional, you know, um, end address cardio driven microphone. Um, would that be your um, your microphone tip of like underground <laughs> microphones? Yes. <laughs> um, I've recommended these to quite a lot of customers actually. Um, uh, when, when we do have them, uh, and I, I think I still have a few at the moment. Um, they're quite good if you want a ribbon sound in a smaller space. They're a, they're a good option. Cool. Um, I was going to ask about how you moved on to. Um, so at what at what point did you decide you wanted to build your own microphone? I'm talking about um, the BM9. I, I may as well. I'll, I'll yes introduce it. So that's the extinct audio BM9. Um. I'd wanted to do it for quite a long time because once once I'd figured out the the ribbons and the magnets and the transformers, and, and I, I had the skill set to be able to build them, um, but I didn't have the time, and because I was busy with the repairs and so on. And one of my very close friends um, lost his job. This is it sounds like a roundabout way. He lo he lost his job, and I I get got him to come in and do a bit of work to give me when at a busy period. Um, and it was fun. And then we just came up with the idea that we should at least try. So we didn't really have the volume of work to support us both with the repairs. But if we started to make new microphones as well, then we um, we stood a chance to have the the ability to pay, you know, and feed two families. <laughs> what are the challenges involved in in manufacturing a new microphone? Uh, quality control, I think, is one of the one of the hardest parts for us um, from from the outset to and learning to do learning to speak to engineers um, in their language. So, if you want parts, if you want people to make parts for you and for them to fit together, you have to learn about tolerances and uh, um, account for things like plating the microphones though so our microphones are nickel plated in parts and that changes their size you don't really think about things like that but if you're working to fractions of a millimeter it makes a real difference in assembly yeah um so it, it was really uh, getting the communication between the people who make the parts for us and we found a brilliant company who um are just over the i just say just over the pennines from us uh, near oldham um and they they do all the machining for us and 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 organise the plating, 
and they've been absolutely brilliant. So they produce really high quality components um, and then we they send them over to us. We do the assembly here, fit the magnets, fit the ribbons, make the transformers um, and so on. I think the part we don't understand very well is the marketing side of it. I think that's been one of the hardest parts for us because we're not naturally um, advertising people. <laughs> we're, we're more we're more technically minded than that, so we, we don't have a we don't have an advertising department. Um, and to a large extent, so far we've we've relied on word of mouth to um, uh, to get them out there. Well, it seems to be working. Um, uh, I've been aware of them for a couple of years, and. Um, there's i regularly on instagram come across um i I tend to follow a lot of drummers and and lots of drummers um fairly well-known drummers using them um so whatever you're doing does seem to be working to a to a fairly large extent one we were quite uh, fortunate in that um we had a a, a built up a um a lot of contacts through doing the repairs and i've done repairs for quite a few of the big studios um for, for many years and um, Real World, uh, Peter Gabriel's studio took um, took a pair of one of the very first pairs that we made um, from us on spec. So they we just sent them down, and said, "You want to try those?" And they they bought them from us. Oh, um, and I think I think that, I, I think and that that was that was fantastic for us because um, they were, a lot of bands and a lot of um, good engineers go in there and see them. And I, I think that was a that was a really big important thing for for getting the word out there. I mean, absolutely. I think you can't get much better endorsement than than real world studios. No, no. <laughs> um, what did you have in? Did you set out specifically to make a so that the BM nine is, uh, from what I can tell, a, like a multi purpose ribbon mic. That's right. So I didn't want. I, I I'm not a great believer in making specific things for a small job if you see what I mean I, you know I mean there are there are certain um applications which do need specific qualities so I, the kick drum is the obvious one um that that's quite a difficult job but beyond that um most microphones will record most things and I wanted to make something that was a general purpose ribbon that could go more or less anywhere um and I wanted it to be made in the UK as as much as possible, and nearly every part is is made here. And I wanted it to be um, affordable. I, I mean, not cheap because you can't do that, um, but not you know not crazy um, crazy thousands of pounds prices. So that I wanted to, I wanted people to have them and use them. So yeah. those were my design specs really um, that it would be something that um, would be you know uh, accessible to people and. Uh, um, uh, and and useful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's definitely on on my shopping list. I mean, I've, I've been saying it to you for years. It's, it is on my shopping list. It's one of those things that is it's always near the top, and there's always one other thing that I need that's in place of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've got a good selection of ribbons already, so you know. I think I think you're you're pretty well equipped, aren't you? There's always more. There's always more. That's the wonderful thing about microphones as well. They don't take up too much space. I used to collect guitars, but I kind of got to the point where I can't have any more guitars because I can't <laughs> fit them anywhere. Um, and then, I, so it's it's a little bit easier to uh, to build up a a nice um, microphone locker, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, I mean, my uh, 
what was I don't know what the word is. Um, mine's drums. <laughs> they collect my collection is drums, <laughs> and they take up a huge. <laughs> they really space. take up the space. Don't yeah, they? I've um, I've okay. just shifted on two kits, which has taken me down to seven now at the moment. So yeah, I, right. I think uh, microphones would be a much better bet. <laughs> yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, so one. One thing um, I thought you might ask me, and you haven't yet, so uh, um, perhaps I, I should raise it. What about a desert island microphone? Did you do you do you have any any thoughts to, of a microphone that you would take? <laughs> that, funnily enough, that was going to be one of my next few questions. Was um, it okay? Yeah. Well, I was going to phrase it as what's my, what's your, would be your. Um, do you have a favourite microphone? But I love the idea of it being a desert island microphone much better. Yeah, I have thought about this. So um, because they're not quite the same thing. So my desert island microphone wouldn't be a ribbon, um, and and perhaps it's the the lack the lack of um, the, the concern about you know the uh, the, the um, toughness of it perhaps under um, strange circumstances. But I I think the RE20, the Electro Voice RE20 is. Um, and I've got a few of them. It's a microphone that whenever I get stuck recording and I'm not sure what to use, I pull out an RE20 and I stick it on the sound source and then I don't have to worry about that sound source. I think that's a absolutely cracking choice. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, we've had it on guitars, we've had it on bass, we've had it on every single drum you can imagine. Um, voices, male and female, uh, acoustic things, just, you know, it's, it's the one... It's one mic that probably won't ever let you down. And another relatively inexpensive microphone. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've been trying to think while you were talking. I, I don't... I'm not 100% sure. The The mics that I... Oh, some of my favourites at the moment. Uh, I did a session a couple of weeks ago with um, some Neumann KM184s that... Uh, blew me away they were just oh, they're nice yeah just uh, unbelievable um and i think as a as a, a sort of a i've gone down a slightly different route than you've gone down um <laughs> but i think that they might be a good a good choice or it, just one of them might be a nice choice as a as a yeah one size fits all job yes they're great, yeah. I have I have a couple of the older uh, KM74s, which are the the 12-volt version yes. that they made back in the 70s, which are really nice. It's, it's a similar capsule, um, and they're great, but I had, one, I, I had one on snare drum, and it sounded absolutely beautiful. And then it got hit with a... Hit with a, um, a drumstick. Um, drumstick, thank you, yeah. <laughs> And it died, and I was absolutely heartbroken. Oh um, goodness! Yeah, that was yeah, that was that was a bad moment. Beyond even it's up and running. It, it's up and running again now. Oh hmm? good! <laughs> I was going to say, if anyone can fix <laughs> it, you can. That uh, um, no, I didn't actually. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I had to send that one away. Uh, <laughs> I um I do occasionally hit the mics when I'm if I'm doing a, a rock track, and uh, my yeah. heart always jumps into my mouth. I was going to ask you the difference. Um, the difference between well, first of all, I was going to. I, I wanted to ask you about the difference between the standard BM9 and the Black Ops BM9. Yeah, so we designed the um, B, the Black Ops version. Um, was it was originally requested by um, a sound engineer called Nigel Pepper, who was going on tour with uh, Snow Patrol uh, as their as their front of house. Yeah. Um, 
and he wanted something that would take a little bit more um, sound pressure level and be suitable for use uh, close up on guitar amps uh, on stage and what we did to to make that work was to add some additional layers to the grill we put a slightly heavier ribbon in there and we took a little bit of bass off in the transformer because the um, the bm9 is designed to work from a distance and as you bring the uh, like any figure of eight ribbon microphone as you bring it in closer you get more bass from the proximity effect um, and we want we thought really close up on guitar the bass was just a little bit too overwhelming so um, that was the decision to dial that down and that's it that's the black ops so it's a, it's a tougher version um, and it's designed to be used close up rather than at a distance ah i love the name black ops I think it's very cool yeah it had black grills and um it was sort of the just almost a slightly heavy duty military kind of um kind of vibe was was the, the thinking cool um, i think uh, i mean i would um I know from my rudimentary mixing that you you scoop a lot of the low end out of guitars anyway, so it seems to make sense that that's what you would you would build in. It's quite weird though because a lot of a lot of people a lot of engineers want a lot of um, bass in the recording and then they take it away again. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have anything uh, coming next, or have you if you even thought about what might be next, or are you mainly focused on continuing to just build BM nines? Um, I think with this year being totally and utterly the weirdest year in living memory, uh, I, I think we are going to have a year of consolidation, or, or, or it may even come down to just trying to stay, you know, stay going. Um, will be a success for us. Um, we're, we're not re in real danger, but it's we don't really know what, where the economy is going to go. So w I had an idea to do a specific vocal microphone, um, but I suspect it's probably going to be another year away at least before we can get the investment to do that. Well, I hope that I know a lot of people are still recording. I mean, I'm I'm still yeah I'm still doing tracks for people. Um, yeah, every week I have. Um, oh, that's great! Yeah, you know, lots lots coming in. It's, uh, probably, I might even say more now than before because lots of people are still creating. Um, yeah. So I would hope that demand is still there. Yeah, we have actually had quite a few orders. It's it's just the it's more the uncertainty and. Um, I think what, what we're expecting, and, and who knows, but what we're expecting is a little burst whilst people get settled into their new routine and they, they think they need a little bit of gear for it. Um, the real worry is maybe in May or June that um, the, you know, we'll take another little dip. But it's okay. There's support schemes out there, aren't there, for us if things get <laughs> you know, really difficult. Yes. Um, but we can't, we can't see the future now, now less than ever. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be okay. Um, and uh, but I think um, we can't really plan too far ahead at the moment. No. Um, have you got bef just uh, so I, I, before I um, wrap up? Have you got anything else that you <laughs> you seem to to uh, to have um, thought about some things that I hadn't thought about to speak about? If you had any other any other things, just coming back to the nineteen sixties element of it is. Um, as well as the technology changing, the, the the technique for recording mic drum kits in particular, uh, it, it did change vastly from being one microphone up front or you know recording it uh, as a, as an entire kit um, 
to the uh, putting a microphone on every you know on every single drum. Yes, um, that that seemed to happen across the sixties, and again, we we think that might have related to um, trying to copy the sound that they got live. But there's a, been a massive reversal, I think, possibly in the past five or five years or so. Um, people are seeing the benefit of recording the drum kit as a kit with more minimal, um, fewer microphones to get a more coherent and natural sound from it. So that was one thing that crossed my mind. I don't know how you're um, setting your systems up, but I, you've done some very good one and two mic recordings, I know. Yeah, I I, um, I think that's a, a really interesting point. It's I, I'll be honest, I have a lot of mics set up on the kit. Um, yeah. Pro, you know too many definitely too many um and i think the temptation is to um to use them all um you know you because, see yes you know you see lots of um huge kits with with everything individually mic'd um yeah and that brings in a lot of issues you know a lot of phase issues um sure and uh and often the sound of uh, a drum close mic'd isn't the sound yeah. of the drum um, no absolutely and i think that that's you know i, I uh, whenever i send um stems to people it's uh you know I, I think it's 13 mics now that i send um and i i um you know i have two kick drum mics and i pull them together and bust them together um so there's lots of them you know snare top and bottom i often bust together yeah um but i do think that there's a you know i always secretly hope that people don't use I'm sending all them, of it. yeah. I'm sending them as options, not as yeah. you use all of this. You know, within my setup, you could have, uh, you know, five, six different combinations of microphones that will suit whatever your project needs. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When I um, if I get asked to mix the drums myself, I would always opt for. I personally like a mono overhead, uh, kick drum and possibly snare drum and and um yeah. i've got a great a cracking little microphone I, i'm not sure if you've seen these it's a shotgun shell that's been turned into a microphone i have seen those i haven't tried one yet they look really cool yeah yeah i, I can't remember the company that makes them um it's an american company they're really inexpensive i think it was 40 dollars, and then maybe paid wow. another 20 dollars in tax to to have it sent over um and just have that as a you know between the ride symbol and the rack tom and it sounds right. unbelievable um so you know overhead kick and one of those um yeah. pointing at the snare drum in between the the ride and the rack tom um sounds fantastic wow that would be my my recommendation and i i think um i I don't want to uh, to to sort of rant about mod modern recording practices, but one of the things that I've learnt over the past few years, um, and now, um, I I I as an observation of what happens at the moment is a lot of people don't want to make. Um, sorry, I'm 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 um and ahhing now. So I, I <laughs> this this sounds like a bit of a name drop. I had we had Ken Scott on the podcast last week, and I'm I'm oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm paraphrasing something that he said, which is why I ummed because I don't want to pass it off as my own thoughts because <laughs> they're yeah. his thoughts. Um, but it's it's decision making, isn't it? So if you um, yes. if you have thirteen microphones on the kit, you don't need to make many decisions. Whereas if you have three mics on the kit, you've got to have a drummer yeah. that knows how to balance themselves. 
Yeah, um, and that's I think um, when you go on t- online and watch a lot of tutorial videos, or um, which I imagine a lot of people who are listening to this probably do, then um, the temptation is to 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 fix things all the time, and that just doesn't need to happen. You know, if, if what's yeah. going in is right, then what's going into the microphones is going to sound right. Um, yes, and I think, agreed, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where this the new people are beginning to realise that you don't need to close mic everything. You don't need control over how loud the hi hat is or how loud the rack tom is versus the floor tom. If if the playing is correct, then yeah. that control should have already been made, been done. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you yeah. don't. A lot of the, these things don't necessarily matter too much in the mix anyway. I mean. Do you no. really, yeah? Do you really need to focus on whether the high, you know, unless the hi hat's clearly the loudest thing, <laughs> then yeah, which it sometimes is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that's true. But there's, you know, I think, um, I think it's, I personally think it's it's better to make the decision on the way in, commit to that decision, and then Im- if embrace whatever happens as as the as the song progresses. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fantastic. And we can't argue with the man who made one of uh, who um, engineered one of my favourite albums of all time, which is uh, Ziggy Stardust. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say there's a few there's a few records that he did that uh, there could have been any any number of them. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Um, could you tell folks where they can find out about um, your repairs and um, the BM9? Yes, of course, the um, repair shop, uh, you can find us at exaudio.com. Uh, that's spelt X-A-U-D-I-A dot com. And the uh, new microphones from Extinct Audio are at extinctaudio.co.uk. And you're on socials as well, aren't you? Instagram and Facebook. A, a little bit, yeah. I've dialed that back a little bit um, just to just to try and manage my own workload and uh, sanity. But yes, uh, we we are both on Instagram. Cool. I'll put um, links to all of these things in the show notes. Um, Fabulous. So everybody can can find you. Um, it's Excellent. been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you for coming and it's talking. It's been great. To Thanks, Joe. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Super. So there you go. I, once again, hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, I get a lot of people asking me um, on microphone for microphone recommendations. Um, and I know a few people who ask me have asked me recently listen to this podcast. Um, and I always point people in the direction of Stuart. Um, whether you're looking for new um, or whether you're looking for reconditioned microphones, he's definitely the man to go to. He just knows so much. Um so it's extinctaudio.co.uk um, and xaudio.com and I'll put links to both of those sites in the show notes to uh, to this. In a fortnight's time, uh, I'm going to be chatting to Colin Elliott, who is a musician and producer and engineer and arranger um, and all manner of things, as we all are these days, um, from Sheffield. And he has a fabulous studio called Yellow Art Studios Um and he's worked with a whole host of incredible artists. It's probably best known for working with um, the sort of legendary Sheffield crooner, Richard Hawley. Um, anyway, the, I've worked with Colin quite a few years ago and I just had to get him on to chat on this podcast because the way that he works is, um, 
I don't quite know how to describe it. It's very old school. And a lot of the things he says are very reminiscent of what Ken Scott said in his interview. Um, and it's it's just a fascinating conversation. So I, I'm, I, I'm sure that you will enjoy it. I mean, I, I had an amazing conversation with him. I'm really excited to share it with you. Um, so do check that out. Um, as usual, uh, you can get in contact with me through my website, www.allyouneedisdrums.com. If you are interested in the stems I talked about in the intro, do go on there and sign up. Um, and if you have any feedback or suggestions, then uh, then don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, as I said before, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you want to scroll down and just give us a star rating, and if you feel like you can, just write a little review. All of that kind of stuff really does help the podcast grow. Um, and a few little last minute housekeeping things. A huge thank you to Joe Kane, as usual, for the incredible intro music and outro music to this. Um, and another huge thank you to my good pal, David Henshaw, um, for the amazing artwork he supplies for this. Um, and a huge thank you to you for listening. And I will see you in a fortnight's time. Goodbye. <laughs>